We'll be in John chapter 15 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 4 through 16. John 15, verses 4 through 16. So we're continuing our four chairs sermon series. We'll go through each chair here in just a little bit. But depending on where you're sitting this morning depends on the challenge I extend your way. If you're in chair one this morning, my challenge to you is to turn to Christ. He is exactly what your heart is longing for. He is exactly who you need. If you're in one of the other chairs, it's a little bit more of a a challenge, a little bit more to it. It's a 3-2-1 challenge. I'd like for you to identify three people who are sitting in chair one, who are lost, who do not know Jesus, but God has placed you in their lives. It could be a hobby that you have. Um, it could be something you do on a weekly basis. It could be a neighbor. It could be a family member. But identify three people in your life who do not know Jesus, who doesn't know Jesus, and commit to praying for them and be willing to be used by God to share the gospel with them. And then identify two new believers. And new does not necessarily mean number of years. It could be someone who is struggling in their walk with Jesus. They may have been a Christian a long time, but they're struggling. Ask God to give you two names of people that you can come along and help equip for ministry. Maybe you can help them pray. Maybe you can help them dig into the Bible. Who knows how God might use that? So three lost people, two new believers or two believers that are struggling, and then find one other disciple maker that can hold you accountable uh, in the process. All right, so that's, that's a big challenge, I know. Uh, but that's where I'd like for us to, to go this morning. All right, let's read the text. John chapter 15. And we're going to start with verse 4. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. He says, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will 
give you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I do ask that we bear much fruit to your glory. It's in the one in whom we should remain, his name, that we pray. Amen. All right, chair four today, make disciples. Chair four is a disciple maker. Our mission as a church comes from the Great Commission in Acts 1-8. We want to make disciples of Jesus who will make disciples of Jesus here, near, and far. Jesus has called the church to do that. He also equips the church to do that. Chair one, someone who is lost, a seeker, an unbeliever, doesn't know Jesus, but wants to know Jesus. The Bible has a ton of people like this. It's Zacchaeus who goes, he can't catch a glimpse of Jesus because he's shorter, it's crowded, so he climbs a tree to get a glimpse. He is searching for something, searching for someone. It's also the woman at the well who is searching to be loved. She's searched her whole life and has found man after man and has failed. And yet she finds Jesus. She is seeking, trying to find. It's the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The world is filled with seekers. Those who are searching for something that will satisfy their souls. And that might be you this morning. And then you have in chair two the new believer. The new believer has just placed their trust in Christ. And as every baby needs a parent to help them grow, so too does a new believer need someone mature in the faith to help them grow. How do we expect a young, a new, a baby believer to learn how to pray? Or to read the Bible? Or to share their faith? Or how to serve. Can you imagine if we took the approach we take to making disciples, to raising up new believers to be followers of Jesus? Can you imagine if we took what we're doing now and applied it to parenting? Well, we just hope the babies figure it out. Eventually, they'll stop filling that diaper up. They'll come to their senses. They'll figure it out. You know, uh, eventually they know where the food is. It's in the kitchen. They'll, they'll go and when they get hungry enough. And yet that's what we're doing with our new believers in Christ. And Satan loves to come. And if he can't keep someone lost, at least he'll make them of little difference in kingdom work. He'll just keep them quiet, keep them distracted, keep them a new believer. Then you have chair three, the worker. And we looked at this last week with Peter. And he had fished all night and caught nothing. And this is what he does for a living. And Jesus says, hey, I need to use your boat. Let's push out because there's this crowd just swarming Jesus. And so he gets away from the crowd and is able to teach from the boat. And we saw that if we're going to be a worker, if we're going to be a fisher of men, you got to be in the boat with Jesus. you got to stay near. Do you draw near to Jesus? And then Jesus tells them to go on out to the deeps and let down your nets. And Peter's like, ah, Jesus, you're not the fisherman we are. You're a carpenter. We know how to fish. They're not out there today. We fished all night. Nothing's there. But he goes, at your word, 
we will do it. And if you're going to be a worker in gospel ministry, if you're going to catch men with the gospel, you've got to be obedient. You don't get to decide where to fish. Jesus does. He'll tell you where and when to drop the nets. He'll tell you where and when and who to share the gospel with. And then don't be surprised when the nets start breaking and the boat starts sinking because there's so many fish in the net. You want to bear a lot of fruit? Be obedient to Christ. And then you see the humility of Peter. He's like, get away from me, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And you see, that is a problem. All of us in the room are sinners. How can we be used by a holy and perfect God? Our sin separates us from God. Well, Jesus knows how to solve that problem, doesn't he? He goes to the cross, taking your sin and my sin and Peter's sin, and he nails it to the tree and he covers it with his own blood so that before the Father, we get his righteousness because our sin was paid for at Calvary. That is great news. You see, a relationship with Jesus takes care of our sin problem. We confess our sin, and we trust Jesus to clean us and make us whole. And then you see at the end of that story, if you're going to be a worker for the gospel, a worker in the ministry, a worker for Jesus, you're going to treasure him above everything this world has to offer. It says that they got their boats to the shore, and they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, listen, this wasn't just a fishing trip. This wasn't a hobby for them. This was their livelihood. And, and you know what? They, they didn't say, you know, uh, we've got a family. We've got to provide for them. We don't know. They trusted Jesus. And, and you want to know what? That's exactly what we should do with our lives. Jesus loved their family more than they even loved their family. He knows how to take care of them. All we have to do is walk with Jesus and then watch how the God who has created everything provides. They said they left their boats, left everything, and followed Jesus. You know what will keep you from the work God has for you? Holding on to stuff in place of Jesus. If you love your job more than Jesus, you won't do much work for the kingdom. If you love your hobbies more than Jesus, you won't be a worker. If you love your comfort more than you love Jesus, you won't sacrifice for the kingdom. And then, over and above chair three is chair four, and it's what we're all called to do. Make disciples. Now here's the awesome part. All of us in the room can do this. This isn't just for the super Christians. There's not an A team and a B team in the building. This is what God does in his people. God will fill you with his spirit, send you out on mission, and and then watch how you make disciples who will then go and make disciples. And all of us in the room can do this. And it will look radically different for each of us. We have different personalities and we have different giftedness, but all of us can make disciples. There is someone in your life that God will use you to get them to heaven because you make disciples. That is an awesome opportunity. And that's what you will see in John chapter 15. We'll use this illustration. Today's the final four of the NFL. If you're an NFL fan, and I don't know 
Today, I don't know how many NFL fans we have. The Bengals are not in it. But the Ravens play the Chiefs. Winner of that goes to the Super Bowl. The Ravens will have the MVP of the season and their quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson runs faster than most people on the field. He throws passes better than most people on the field. And he wins more games than most people on the field. He's the quarterback. The quarterback, for those who do not know football, is the guy who takes the ball from the center and throws it to people or hands it to a running back. That's the quarterback. He is on offense. He's the one that scores a lot of touchdowns, at least if their team wins. All right? He's the QB. Now, can you imagine if he goes to Coach Harbaugh today and says, Coach, you know what? I'm tired of this rain and cold weather. I'm just going to wear this nice coat and keep me warm on the sideline. I'm not going to bother being on the field today. Or he might say, you know what? It's too cold. And it's too rainy to be even be on the sideline today. I'm going to watch this game from my house on my big screen TV, Coach. And I'll let you know if, if I can help you in any way. But I'm, I'm not coming to the ballpark today. Or can you imagine, after he gets his wristbands on and his new visor, it looks cool, and he goes, Coach, I can't get this dirty today. Can't get this dirty today. I'm just going to look good, not worry about playing good. Or maybe he sees all the fun the defense is having and he says, you know what, I don't want that offensive stuff no more. I'm going to go over here and tackle people on defense. That never happens, at least at that level. Never happens. You want to know why? Because the coach and the player know exactly what the mission is. And they know their role. And he'll show up to the field today and he'll be dressed ready to play and he'll play until he can't. And he'll throw as many passes as is called, and he'll hand the ball off as many times as he can, and he'll run for as many touchdowns as he can because he knows his mission. Do you know your mission? You have a better coach than even Coach Harbaugh. You have the God of all wisdom who has told his church to go and make disciples. And if you call Jesus Lord, we don't get to shrug our shoulders and say, you know what, I'm just going to be on the sideline. You know what, I'm just going to sit on the couch and watch this game from the comfort of my home. No, you get to be involved in the mission. You get to go and make disciples. And you can rest assured that Jesus is right there with you because he's promised to be. You know what this city desperately needs? You guys saw the news this week, right? This city is scared to death. We had half of our school out of school this past week. Fear is real. Parents are scared. Students are scared. And it's been a rough year. You can't go to one funeral before there's another funeral scheduled. You have a 25-year-old mother of two. Boyfriend busts down the door, comes in, shoots and kills her. You have a two-year-old that is shot and killed by a three-year-old sibling. And then on Tuesday, you have a 14-year-old who is gunned down by a 17-year-old in a fight. And there's so many people showing up saying, this is the answer. This is the way forward. You have a board meeting where a person offers, you know what, we just need gun safety classes for all students. You have another person show up and say, well, if we just had 
this class and this class at school, we'd have a better education, be more hope. We have another person show up, well, we just need more counseling. You know, the, they're struggling with all of these traumatic events, and uh, they need to look within to find hope. And it's line after line after line, people are searching for answers that they don't even know the questions to. You want to know what our city desperately needs? The hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The city desperately needs the gospel. And you want to know what I've seen? I've seen Jesus turn cities upside down. I've seen cities that were into the magical arts come and burn books because they're not going to do magic anymore. They're going to follow Jesus. Because Jesus has a habit of turning cities upside down. There was a city with a girl that could foretell the future. And Paul shares the gospel, heals her, and turns the city upside down. You have a jailer who is going to commit suicide, see the hope that is found in Christ and his whole family. He and his whole family is saved because of the gospel. You see, Jesus changes lives. He gives hope to the hopeless. He gives meaning to people who have no purpose or think they have no purpose. But they're not going to guess that. And the answers that our city is offering will not satisfy. Will not change our current condition. This is where I'm placing my life. I am staking my life on this truth. That the gospel transforms people inside out. And as people are transformed, their families will be transformed. And as families are transformed by the gospel, their street will be transformed by the gospel. And as their street is transformed by the gospel, their block will be transformed by the gospel. And there are 24 neighborhoods in the city of Covington that can be and will be transformed by the gospel. We have to be a people that are busy about the mission God has given us to make disciples who make disciples. We've got to get the good news out. Our city is hurting, dying, and afraid. So here's how the gospel applies. Think about the 15-year-old that doesn't have much power, but is promised power if they join this group or this gang. How does the gospel answer that question? Well, this is how the gospel answers that question. The God who created the universe becomes your father because of the work of Christ. And if your father has all power, do you need that power that some gang is offering you? I know who my dad is. How does the gospel transform mission and purpose? Think about the amount of time students are wasting on social media. And now, our tendency, and then I'm in this group, the older group, quit being on there, quit doing... More entertained by video after video after video because probably they see how cold other people's relationship with Jesus is. But what if they saw a church 
that showed the joy of walking with Jesus. My guess is their free time will be poured into a God who loves them and a pursuit of love after that God. What if, for security, instead of trying to get to a gun to make sure you're safe, what if, for security, you knew that not even death could separate you from God? Remember what Paul said? How how was Paul able to face death day after day after day? How, How was Paul able to be beaten for his faith, to be left for dead outside of a city after a whole city threw rocks at him, tried to stone him to death. And, and yet he, he gets back up and guess where he goes? Back into the city. How is he able to do that? Well, he tells us. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Gain. You know what? When you have that perspective, where does fear go? It's by. It's gone. You can't touch people like that. Who I'm just going to follow Jesus. And if you kill me, that's gain for me because I'll be with Christ. And if I live, I'm going to live for his glory. That's how you become fearless. Because you know how this story ends. You see, the gospel answers every question that every student at Holmes High School is asking. The gospel answers every question that in your heart right now you're asking. It is that simple. It's the Sunday school answer. His name is Jesus. And the world is desperate for people who show others how to walk with Jesus. He is alive. He has risen. He is returning. And as a people, we got to get busy with the mission he's given us. Make disciples who make disciples. Real quick, we have an opportunity coming up. The school asked, do you know of a place where you could have the junior class? to do ACT boot camp. Well, wouldn't you know it, we need a spot for 80 people. Well, we had a thanks celebration. We had over 90 downstairs in the fellowship hall. And I thought, man, this is a lot of people. We're trying to figure out buffet lines and sitting people and eating and all that good stuff. But you want to know what I figured out? We can fit 90 people. So I told her, absolutely. Ashland Avenue, 2735, come on we got to figure out how to get the gospel on the walls downstairs before mid-February when all the students come. And we need to make sure we have some stuff out, literature, that we just hand out to church members. Like, how can we pray for you? How you can know God? And you want to know what my guess is? There'll be a lot of people that are seekers of Jesus in that group. And I want them to have the opportunity, one, to see the gospel, to pick up stuff that will tell them the gospel, and to have contact information if they ever want to hear more about the gospel. What a great opportunity we have. Chair one, seeker. Two, believer. Three, worker. Four, disciple maker. And this is a process, and we'll get into that, but let's get to the text real quick. Bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. If you're going to bear much fruit, you've got to remain in Jesus. Bear fruit by remaining in Jesus. Pretty simple. On your own, we can do nothing. That means of spiritual value. Obviously, you can get up and you can walk around and you can get dressed. And honestly, you only do that because Jesus sustains us. 
But this is talking of spiritual fruit, right? Remain in me, I also in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Guys, this is very, very simple. If you're going throughout your day without walking with Jesus, you're not going to bear too much fruit. If you try to do this in your own power, you will not bear any fruit. So how do you remain in Christ? You obey Him. What He says do, you do. Where He goes, you go. What He calls you to do, do. It's very, very simple. Remain in Him, and He in you, and you will bear much fruit. Now, real quick, also understand this. The fruit, there's some different fruit that you can produce. Uh, The first thing I want you to look at is fruit of the Spirit. If you're taking notes, Galatians 5, 22-23, the Spirit is in those who know Christ and produces this in you. Right? And I want us to be careful because a lot of times what will happen is church-going people will get, oh, well, that's a good person. We, we don't want to be good people. We want to be God's people. And when we're God's people, His Spirit produces in us what only God can produce in us. And so check this out. In Galatians 5, 22-23, says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, all of us, if we're walking with Jesus, should be growing and bearing that type of fruit. Are you growing in your patience, in your kindness, in your gentleness, in your self-control? Remain in Christ, bear much fruit. Those are some of the fruit on the tree of those who remain in Christ. But not only is it the fruit of the Spirit, there's also good works. And this, this is as vast um, as you can think of. Matthew 5, 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And listen, all of us have unique giftedness and will be called to do different works. When it snows right now, I am still of the age where I can help a couple neighbors that can't get out and shovel their driveways. And I want to point them to Jesus as a result of that. Camden delivered Easter letters without her parents knowing about it this year. She can write, she can spell correctly, and she can walk. Next time we'll buy some stamps so we don't do it illegally. But she had something on her heart and she did it. Right? I don't know what God may do through you. But he'll use you how you're uniquely wired and where you're uniquely placed for good works. Not so people will brag about how good you are. But will brag about how good your God is. Good works to the glory of God. That's fruit that we should be producing. But then also, making disciples should be fruit that we are producing. It's Matthew 18, or 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So, some of the fruit in our lives should be that we are making disciples. And then Acts 1.8 talks about how we should be witnesses to Christ, what he, who He is and what He has done. So just a couple of questions. Who are you leading to the Lord? Who are you sharing the gospel with? 
When's the last time you led somebody to Christ? When is the last time you shared the gospel? You speak about what you treasure. I speak about what I'm passionate about. If we're not speaking much about Jesus, we probably aren't making too many disciples. Who are you helping grow in Christ? Have you taught anybody how to pray? Have you prayed with anyone? Have you encouraged anybody to dig into the Word? Maybe it was a verse that changed your life and you share that with somebody. Maybe it's a book of the Bible that you love and you want to challenge someone else to read. Fruit. Much fruit by remaining in Christ. So bear fruit by remaining in Christ. Also bear fruit in your prayer life. You see this in verse 7. Prayer that produces fruit will be from those who are in relationship of Jesus. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A few things there. There's two guardrails here. Ask whatever, a lot of people hear that, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. So you can ask for a new car. You can ask for a girlfriend. You can ask for a new house or a new job. But you didn't see the two things, the two contexts of which when you pray you will be answered. It comes through a relationship with Jesus. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. And so your prayer life, if you want a powerful, effective prayer life, where you see God answering your prayer, it'll be through a relationship with Jesus. But then also, the next verse, you see that prayer that produces fruit will also be focused on the glory of God. If it's focused on your glory or your comfort, probably won't be answered. Prayer that is effective will be in relationship with Jesus and to the glory of God. So look at your prayer life. Does it flow from relationship with Jesus? And, it is, and is it for the purpose of the glory of God? So many times our prayers are so selfish and so small. May we pray, and as we pray for our city... May we pray that our city will be one that glorifies God. For thousands of people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then let's not be surprised when he shows up and does exactly that. Let's pray from a relationship with Jesus and to the glory of God. That will be a prayer life that will bear fruit. Thirdly, bear fruit to the glory of God. This is the 15.8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, he gives us two guardrails to hang on to here, two ditches to, to help us navigate down the road here to bear fruit. The first one, bearing much fruit glorifies God. So your life should be bearing fruit, right? Producing fruit of the Spirit, good works to the glory of God, making disciples to the glory of God. You want to know how you bring glory and honor to God? You bear much fruit. But then, secondly, we also see that bearing much fruit displays a relationship with Jesus. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Right? Pretty simple. Noah, you play football, right? How would people at Holmes High School know you play football? Oh, hoodies. Right? Pretty simple. It says what? COV football, something like that. Holmes football on there. They'll see you on Friday night. What do you do after school during the season? Go to practice, right? Do you have a helmet? 
Shoulder pads, knee pads, cleats. Yep. It doesn't take long for people to know that Noah plays football. How long does it take for people to know that you're a follower of Jesus? It should be as easy as it is to identify a high schooler playing football. And they should be able to see it by the fruit you're producing. Your life is producing something. What do people know you as? Oh, that's so-and-so. He works here. Oh, that's so-and-so. She does this. How long does it take before they get to, oh, he's a follower of Jesus? Oh, she's one of those people that, man, and she gets after it. She loves Jesus, and you can tell everything she says and does. He says, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, and by this they will know that you're my disciples. People shouldn't have to guess if we're followers of Jesus, should they? Every year at school, someone will know that I'm a pastor. And every year, someone in the hallway will be cussing to where someone will say, hey, you can't do that around here. He's a pastor. And that student was like, what? You're a pastor? And, and I thought, well, maybe they don't know me. But how bad would it be for some of the students that do know me that didn't know that I'm a pastor? Like, it was a shock. I can't believe that you're a pastor. Right? They, they should be able to see that. And how I talk to students. We prayed for students this week. We pray for students every week, but this week they were involved. They asked for us to pray for them. It was a pretty neat class. Right? They, they don't have to guess who the followers of Jesus are in our school. They can tell. And we hope that it's growing. Can they tell at your work? What about your neighborhood? Right now, I have a little bit of a cheat code right on my truck and the license plate that says preach. Most of the students know that that says preach. Some of them think it says peach. We're still working on that. But my neighbors know that I'm a preacher, right? If you have the fish symbol, people will know. But without all the other symbols, just by your life and the fruit you're producing, would they say, oh, she loves Jesus. I know that if I have a question about God, I can go to him by the way you live. What fruit is your life producing? And it is the type of fruit that will identify you as a follower of Jesus. Next, bear fruit through loving obedience. And this is 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Obedience equals remaining in Christ. And remaining in Christ equals bearing much fruit. If you're not bearing any fruit, could be because of disobedience. If you have no hunger for the things of God, it could be because of disobedience. Sin will destroy a passion to follow Jesus. And so commit to killing sin. Commit to turning from sin. Commit to confessing sin to God and trusting in Jesus for salvation. Because obedience is where fruit will be produced. And then, fifthly, bear fruit with great joy. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What an awesome promise. What an awesome promise. The church should not be filled with grumpy people. 
We should be the ones who know what joy is all about because we have the joy of God in us. And he says your joy won't be half full. He says your joy will be full or complete. You want to know joy? Remain in Christ. Bear much fruit. And then watch how your life will be marked with joy. And then if you keep reading in 15, you see that in verse 12, you're loved by Jesus. And verses 13 and 14, Jesus calls you, hey, you're not servants anymore, you're friends. Friends of God. I don't know how many friends you have on social media. Don't know how many friends you have in real life. Don't know how close of friends you have. But when Jesus says, hey, a friend who loves you, who's willing to lay down his life for you, that's the type of friend you have in Jesus. He calls us friends. Friends that know what Jesus is all about. We know his business. That's verse 15. You're not servants who don't know your master's business. No, you're friends who know what I'm all about and what I've called you to do. And then he tells us in verse 16, go and bear fruit that will last. One day I'm going to die, and I'll either meet Christ through the grave or through the air. And when I get to heaven, I hope, I hope heaven is filled with people that maybe I made a difference in, that maybe heard the gospel from me, that maybe were encouraged because of what God has done in my life. I hope it's filled with people that I've made an impact with. And I hope heaven is filled with people you have impacted. I hope we have a ton of four-chair disciple-makers. Next week, we're going to look a little bit about what is a disciple and then how do we make them. But I want to leave you with this, the need of the hour. In Matthew chapter 9, 36 to 38, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That is the day in which we live. And that's not just Covington. That's northern Kentucky, greater Cincinnati. That's the United States, and that's across the globe. There are so many people who desperately need to be rescued out of their sin, who desperately need to hear the gospel. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are still few. So if you're not out there in the harvest field sharing the gospel, making disciples. Ask God to show you how you can do that. Ask God to fill you with his spirit and watch how he uses you. Go where he tells you to go. Drop the nets when he tells you to drop the nets and then don't be surprised by the catch and how he uses you. If you're here this morning and you're sitting in chair one, you're lost and you do not know Jesus, you can put your faith in Christ right now. There's nothing separating you from God right now. Put your faith in Christ. Turn from sin, trust in Jesus, and be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to stay in chair one. Get to chair two. And so all I know is this. As we pray, God is moving and working, and you'll have a chance to respond. My plea to you is to be obedient to what God is doing in your heart right now. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, I pray right now for the people in the room. I pray that you make clear what you're calling each of us to do. 
Father, I pray that we respond obediently to what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.